how can you be part of a religious community that straight up sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers i would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most vocal political voice against some churches still the one they claim that worship was the actual how can your story be good that is from the majority of people on the church end up going to hell? Like, how is that actually good? It seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical than they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. Ah, the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy, and today is a special day for multiple reasons. One, not starting with my friend who's here, but starting with me, this is the Church Needs (laughs) Therapy's 100th episode. And for the 100th episode, I came up with the best idea ever, which is to bring on one of my best friends to interview me for the 100th episode. (laughs) So I have a friend here named Phil Wood, one of my best friends. He actually has been on here at least once, I know you interviewed me when my first book was coming out to talk about the book. So basically, I'm a great friend. I only bring you on when I no, want no. you to. When you I interviewed want you me and Jen me. once. Oh, okay. Interviewed you and Jen. I think it's like my third time, bro. I'm a regular. Okay. So I think it's once was about me. The other one was about you guys. This one's about me. So next one will be about you. Well, that's. Yeah, just I would even Steven naturally probably would do more interviewing me, but in this we'll, we'll keep we'll keep <laughs> rotating. But yeah, I was just. You know, it's been a little bit over three years that I started this. I think it was August of 2020, like in the, you know, right in the part of the shutdown pandemic time. And I started this podcast and it ended up being many reasons of why it's so great. And one of those was to just keep connecting with people, you know, being in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. being isolated geographically. There's so many people doing great things. So really a lot of great relationships, you know, friendships, endorsements working relationships all kinds of things have come from initial conversations here and i've done quite a bit of teachings along the way and Mm -hmm. it's still a good thing you know and it's something i'm really proud of and to get to 100 episodes when i'm sure it feels more of a statistics research guy than i am he's always like have you seen this thing in new york times and 30 percent of these people like blink five times a day but the other 39 (laughs) i think the the one you never responded to is do you realize that most authors never make it they just don't actually make any money and you're all no response (laughs) ghosted (laughs) i'm like dude what are we doing But I'm sure, I'm sure there has to be a stat of like a like most podcasts don't make it past like oh, yeah. eight episodes or something. I think I maybe have seen something like that. I'm sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so this it's is huge. Make a hundred. Yeah, yeah, hundred episodes, three years. The first year I committed to do it weekly. I was doing it every week. I think the second year I probably went to every other. And around my book, it started being a bit more sporadic every other, but then I'll take three to four weeks off and do two weeks in a row. So this year has been more like that, but mm-hmm. yes, hundred episodes. One of my best friends, Phil is here to interview me, but really it's just for us to talk. Cause you know, hundred episodes I've grown and changed in three years. Like I hope the listeners have Phil's grown and changed in three years. We both assume that's what happens when you're awake and paying attention and trusting the journey the spirit has us on. So I'm going to hand it over to Phil because he was kind enough to write a few questions down. And by a few, knowing Phil, probably like 18. And so uh, he'll, he'll has 18 written down. We'll finish five. We'll finish five. 14. Then, uh, There's only 14. <laughs> <laughs> so my my hyperbole was like one above. So it was actually the heart of it was pretty close. Yeah, you know. And uh Yeah, we're just going to talk, both of us. You know, I just wanted to get a chance to share some of my heart, some of where I'm at and what I'm thinking and just updating people. And yeah, I thought it would be good to just tap in with everybody in this way. So Phil, feel free to take it away. Questions, what do you got for me? Where do we go from here? I just told him just, I gave him some examples of questions to ask, but I was like, really just, I guess, do your thing. Okay, well, thank you. Thanks for having me, buddy. It's really fun to be back with you. Anytime we can nail down a uninterrupted hour, so it's the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you're one of my few friends that I can just one hundred percent let down and like laugh, but like laugh to the point that I 
want to cry, which mm-hmm. I, I love that about you and our friendship. It, there's such a intimacy there. It's mm-hmm. really special. Watching you do what you've done is so inspiring. And to celebrate a hundred episodes is incredible. It's like a birthday mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. It's a, a huge marker to make it mm-hmm. to hundred episodes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. even in the midst of all your other work and the books and the, the stuff that you're doing, it's just, yeah, it's really fun to watch. It's, it's fun to join you. Okay. This is my question. Let's start real simple. Whenever birthdays come around, we always ask questions around our table, which mm. are fun. And they're similar, but they're always a little bit different nuance. As you look back over the first hundred episodes, mm. what was the very best episode for you, in your opinion, that you had hundred episodes? Ooh, that's tough. Man, I don't know if I can nail down one. I know the first one's memorable. You know, the first guest I had on here was Jonathan Merritt. It wasn't my first episode, but he was the first guest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool, like, didn't know him at all at the time. I've gotten to know him more and we've hung out and we've stayed in touch. But he came on, which is to me is like the first few guests are like just taking a chance and like giving you an opportunity. Like you're you're giving them an opportunity to share, but in my they're also giving you an opportunity when they're like, oh, this guy has three episodes, you know, sure. <laughs> it's on. a risk. And he came on. He's like, I'll do it. I can do 11 a.m. which in New York. I'm like, it's 5 a.m. in Hawaii. Let's do it. So I'm up <laughs> and it's dark. And I probably barely sub just like making sure I don't like sleep through it. So I think that one will always be memorable because it was the beginning of the way in which you have these podcasts, connect with people, have great conversations. But those conversations can become the seed for the potential for a further relationship connection, mutual thing to grow, which was a big part of why I did this, you know, a huge part of it. So some of them, you know, the vibes you're like, dude, we're cool. That was a great episode, but we're not really going to keep staying in touch like that. Maybe we will. Other times you're like, I could see us talking a bit more and connecting or whatever. So I think the first guest you're like that, there, that was something, you know, and you keep doing it. And also you're like, I can do this, you know, like right. that it's always a big, been a big part of my vocational and creative life is me in silence, looking at people in my life being like, I can do that. Mm. Like, I know I can do that, you know? Yeah. And I, I just know it, even though I've never had the opportunity, I know I can do that. And then totally. finally, sometimes three years go like preaching, like years goes by and then you start doing it. And it's this cool confirmation of this is yes i i knew i could do this and now i'm doing it and it just feels it just feels good because you're like mm. it wasn't time but i knew it you know so yeah, yeah. i think the, the first guest is cool because you're like all right now we're, we're we're going you know now we're in this yeah that's good that's yeah. both true and probably wise not to play favorites what was your worst episode oh. on the flip side can you say that Man, I, you know, some people know this about me. Like, I don't listen to my episodes before I post them. Yeah, I do know that. Like, I don't go back and edit. I just, <laughs> I'll be like, that. it was what it was, you know? But sometimes <laughs> there have been a couple where there was a story. Gosh, I can't even say that. There was one I, I had to go back and delete maybe the part of the episode, but you know, the way I do, I have to go back and delete the episode, edit it and re-upload it. But it it was, it was protecting somebody else's story. Oh, it was like, they probably will never hear this. And I kept the name vague, but if they did, this is not okay. What I just said, you know? Mm. And so it was me being like, I realized what happened. I went back and changed it. And those moments are just very, you know, anxiety provoking. Yeah. Because of this, the storm it creates. Mm. I think all the guests I've had on here, you know, for my first podcast, I told you about it. There was a couple episodes I did where I was on theirs and I was like, that was <laughs> awkward, weird, and like uncomfortable. You, and you told me a few of them. Was <laughs> weird. It was like, was they like, they were being, were they being antagonistic towards me? Like, <laughs> Definitely. And, then I was like yes. and I'm like, Ooh, I could feel my like ego contracting and getting defensive and like nobody else would know it. But like, that was slightly passive aggressive. What I just said to them. And you're like, Oh mm. crap. So yeah, I think maybe some of them when I'm doing them on my own, just like my own teachings or like, you kind of, 
it's harder to teach in an empty room looking at a wall or a window than it is in a group. Oh yeah. Cause they there's to find no your own energy. energy. Yeah. There's no energetic feedback, no body language, no eyes, no verbal, anything. You're just looking at a wall like, and that was a joke. <laughs> you have to bring all of it to the room. It's the worst. So I think the worst, some of those is just the feeling you have while you're doing that. You're like, I'm so far into this. I'm going to finish, but just, it doesn't always feel great when you're just teaching by yourself in a room. Mm. Like you're like, I value this and it's good, but the feeling while you're doing it sometimes can be weird. You're like, it mm. just feels weird. Even if it's good, it just feels weird to do it. I uh, So I think some of those too. Yeah. Um, what are you most proud of in the last hundred episodes? You know, I love that people get to hear this, you know, hear from mm. theologians, hear from practitioners, hear from activists, hear from preachers, hear from writers, and I love to be involved in it. And I I think being in Hawaii and focusing so hyper-locally for so long in the church, but having a strong desire to mm. be a part of something beyond here and be a part mm-hmm. of a bigger network of people building and creating and all the people I look up to or, or just are people I see as I use the phrase like people who are building the future. I want to be a part of, and that's not everybody. It's mm-hmm. actually in our Christian public world, you know, that's not probably most people. Mm. And so I think maybe just the fact that I'm like, no one came to get me to say, Hey, do you want to be a part of this whole thing? Oh, I had to initiate every relationship. I had to send a million emails. I had to do the work and I had to do that because it was just one of those things of like, one of the ways my ego will protect itself is to like, it can throw like a pity party of like, oh, I'm just like, you know, like I'm too real or I'm too this, you know, it's like people don't get it. It's like, And I can use that as a way just to be like, well, that's because a part of me just really wants to be a part of something larger, but isn't. And that's hard and it hurts and it feels shitty. Mm -hmm. But instead of just allowing myself to stay there, I know my ego's propensity to do things like that. But it's like, yeah, if you want to be a part of this larger thing, you have to the first few years. That's what I've done for three years. I've like worked my ass off to connect, to initiate to create relationships, to create opportunities. Cause I'm like, eventually I'm going to create an ecosystem big enough that starts to return the energy through invitations. But mm-hmm. I have to do this for years to build oh, a long, long, long time Absolutely. of initiating. So I think now it's like events I've been at endorsements I've gotten people I've connected with. I'm like, yes, it's real relationships, but like I had to, I had to initiate. My event in New York was, and I told people there, it was like, you know, 10 to 12 writers, leaders. I invited them to this rooftop there. It wasn't a big thing like my other parties. It was smaller. And I basically told all of them, like, I just flew 10 hours to pretty much say like, hi, I'm Kevin. Like, I I would hope to be connected. (laughs) (laughs) Can we be friends? You know? Yeah. You know? No, really. And I know. And I think the, the courage and the vulnerability required to do that was me finally saying like, this is the future I want comes through me doing this for some years. Interesting. I, I remember yeah. um, having those same feelings like, is someone going to invite me? Or, and then I, I, there's three specific conversations I remember having with people that were so shocking to me. One was the founding CEO of this really hip, cool um, company here in Costa Mesa, where I live. And he was writing a book and he was doing a TED talk. And I'm like, you what? You're killing it. Mm. I was like, that's how did you, how did you do that? He's like, oh, I always wanted to do one. And I thought people would just come find me. He's like, and then I realized mm. they're never going to come find me and ask exactly. me. So I went out and figured out how to ask to do one. And that's what I'm doing. And I thought, what? And then similar conversation with another guy. And then I just met another guy who's, who's becoming like a fast friend. Love this guy. And I was telling him how, you know, we're following our curiosity, trying new things. He's like, that's great. He's like, I've always just followed the relationships mm. and that. And I thought that's a, a really mm. cool way to, yeah. to say that it's just following the authentic relationships where they lead. Cause that brings the most yeah. life and connection anyway. Yeah. Exactly. And you're really good at that. And that's, and, but see, even for people listening, you know, I would say 
that is not something that's natural to me at all. You know, I'm introverted to the point where introversion that can slide on a, a further scale to isolation naturally, you know, yeah, like, yeah. to be honest. So some people are natural connectors, you know, reach out to people, blah, blah. Like I'm not like that. So for my first book, if you see me and I did around 30 podcasts where people interviewed me for it, I probably emailed or DM'd two to 300. Oh, for sure. I remember. I remember us talking about it when you were doing it. It was And so that's what I would say to people is like, oftentimes there's where we are and there's what we want. Mm. And in order for us to go from where we are and to get to where we want or the possibility of creating those opportunities to get what we want, whatever's in between there is usually... There are external resources we need, of course, but there's new internal resources we need to get there. Courage, vulnerability, the power to initiate, you know, not waiting for people to come get you. Like that's something I had to practice so much the past three years of you will get rejection. You will get indifference. You will get these things, but that's a part of the path, you know, to get to where I want it was like, Totally. I just had to go in my room. Like, I'm going to spend an hour reaching out to people. You want guests on your podcast? I'm going to spend an hour emailing, DMing people. A lot of them won't ever get back to me. You got to calendar it and actually do it. I do. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm spending the next hour or hour and a half reaching out to people. And so I think those things are way easier for me now. But if this was 15 years ago, I didn't have the internal resources of courage and the ability to be vulnerability and to accept failure and rejection. I didn't have those yet, really. Mm. Those were still barriers for me. And so it's one of the tough things about real growth and evolution is like when some people attributed to roar, some attributed to now and wherever it comes from, when we say you don't think yourself into new ways of living, you live yourself into new ways of thinking. It's the only way to become courageous is to just keep doing courageous things. And eventually 10 years goes by and you're like, oh, that thing that used to keep me stuck for nine months, I can do in nine seconds now. And I don't even think about it. And they reject Mm -mm. me and I don't care. I'm like, that's a part of it. And I go on to the next Mm -hmm. one. So I think when you overcome those barriers through, not you don't think yourself through it, you live yourself through those things Mm -hmm. and you do it like that's, those are not small accomplishments because every time you do it, your sense of self gets wider and wider and it becomes Mm -hmm. easier and easier. So this was a huge the last three years, the podcast was a through line of me doing that it was. a lot. Yeah. It, it was a through line to all the work, all the transition, even from totally imagine yeah. to your new life. What um, time. What's like your biggest learning besides that? I mean, you already gave that, but what's your biggest learning from doing this podcast? <laughs> I think the simple thing, you know, of like, you know, Phil and I have been joking about this recently but we've been discussing this idea of oftentimes life is very simple conceptually mm-hmm. and very difficult experientially, meaning the way forward oftentimes is not super complex. It's not like it's going to be this and that, and then we have to do this. And then after they say this, we have to come in and we make right. it so complex. No, actually you just sometimes just need to forgive a person. Now that's yeah. not complex conceptually it's very simple it's actually one thing it's it's very simple but the experience to do it is extremely difficult you know so doing the podcast is one of those things where you're like hey just do it like that's just one of those things as you get older and you do enough things set up enough chairs throw enough events have people not show up sit in all your failure you just are like it's not that big a deal That's Mm -hmm. why people are serial entrepreneurs. Cause I'm like, once you start a company, you're like, it's not that hard. It's hard to create a successful company over time, of course. But like you could go right now and start an LLC and literally get it, open a bank account in probably two weeks, start doing stuff already. Like that simply, maybe shorter. And so that to me over the years, as a person who, when I was younger, could be very stuck in my head with like fear of failure type of things. It's very empowering to just know you can just do things. Like I just started a podcast for whatever my, re- I actually started one before that called there's more and I didn't yeah. continue it. Yeah, I, and I was like, I just want to start another one. I have a different idea and I really committed to it. And it's like three years later, hundred episodes. And 
I just did it. It's, mm. it's hard work, but there's another simple part of you that, 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 that idea of you can just do things. You can call that person right now. Yep. You can email. I bet some of you can email somebody right now and it might change your life. Even if it's on a small scale, it's important, you know? So absolutely, the freedom of just doing those things is, is really cool. It's simple, but it's difficult because then you feel all the internal resistance, but you do it enough and you're like, dude, people just make everybody who we look up to publicly, people do great things. They just make shit. And they did it for 20 years. And you saw them at year 18. <laughs> you know, like, like every, oh, like when people say every overnight success has like 10 years of hard work behind them. At like, least. No, we're yeah. just seeing them now. Right. But they were doing weird home videos with their friends at 19 that people made fun of them for. And now they have a show on Comedy Central or something. Right. You know, like those types of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. This is a, a lead in question, but it's kind of a transition from the pragmatic, just fun. Mm-hmm. How has your podcast and I think your work, because they go together, how has it evolved over the last hundred episodes? Which is really to say over the last three years, obviously, but mm. same thing. Yeah. I don't know how the podcast has evolved. You know, I think the guests who I bring on is a big thing. And to be honest, the guests is, I don't have like some master plan of like, you know, I'm 18 months out, like, you know, fall of 2023, I'm going to have these people. And then this is this, or for me, I'm not like, this is season four and episode eight. I'm going to bring on this person. I'm just like, oh yeah, I should spend an hour or two reaching out to people. (laughs) (laughs) And kind of the people that get back to me are the ones who are going to be on, you know, in the fall. And then, oh, I should, you know, do some teachings here. I haven't done that. I want to keep it kind of even and I'm going to do that. So I feel like the podcast has a, it's, it's, it's still in the same, it's in the same stream, you know, within a larger river. Yep. I think my work is, uh, I think leaving imagine and leaving my role at the church that's a big thing for me that made it more simple than perhaps it might be for others where i'm like man the work the energy the love what you do it just keeps it continues you know my my, one of my big things when i left when i was doing podcasts my first book was me telling people the structure changes but the spirit remains the same or the flow or the the forms change but the flow stays the same and what I say, what I care about, what I'm doing for me still feels the same as what mm-hmm. I was doing at Imagine. But the forms of it are different. More writing instead of preaching. Mm-hmm. Not organizing a whole of a community, but decentralizing my work through different places. But the same, what I'm trying to do in the world is the same. So I think it's just the the natural growth and evolution of the same thing I've been wanting to do for 20 years, Mm. which is help people wake up and care about people. And, and I've realized that even with more clarity, I think the past few years of, Oh, one of my main impulses in the world is to identify and recognize people who don't always or haven't always felt welcomed at the center and Mm -hmm. to make them feel really welcome. And to let them know that they're seen. That's one of my biggest things, you know, is that right there. And I did that in the church, Mm. you know, Um, and I still do that, you know, and I Mm -hmm. hope to do that more and more. The more you do stuff, the more you can create opportunities for people. So, yeah, I feel like it's all it's very similar. It's just all a reflection of the natural growth of my own life, you know, but it's still the same. That's the that's the crazy thing about change is. You know, you're in a marriage and 20 years goes by and you're like, this is all different. And yet it's still us. Yeah. It's the same with our individual lives as well in some way. Yeah. Do you, um, what do you care most about these days? And how are you, how do you see yourself showing up in the world or how are you wanting to show up in the world? I, I know when transitioning out of imagine, like there's a, obviously like being a lead pastor, it's very community oriented, you know, your life is oriented around others. And then I have 18 months where I'm like, not around people really, you know, right. my own. Yeah. That's a healing. huge shift, dude. I'm like, you go from 10 years of non, like you're completely immersed in nonstop community and, and where you're the person who's like 
the center point to organize it all. And then you go from like, now I'm just home alone in my room. Uh, when I'm not with my family, I'm really like, it's just me alone. Then I'm with my family. And I needed that time. Right. Especially and living think, in a tower in the city. Like, that's I, I'm like, really like l- above life. And there's good parts of that for my healing. But as an Enneagram five, it's almost like that could become my own, not an ivory tower of academia, but my own isolated tower of like madness and creativity. But I'm mm-hmm. not involved in engaged with and in the messiness of life Mm. and relationships and collaboration in all that and that's something i have to be mindful of so i think what how i want to keep showing up is there's a transition back to being more people oriented coming Mm. i want to still inspire empower and liberate other people's personal transformation and their creative output and dreams into this world for the sake of the common good, for the sake of justice, for the sake of compassion. And I haven't done that at all, really, for 18 months. It's like I connect with individuals and I do my own creative thing. And I'm like, those are great, but that's not it. And I feel a change coming. And there's some, you know, but a great opportunity ahead that that might, I think, be the kind of fulcrum or center point of that. But it's, yeah, like when you're so immersed in people forever and you're pastoring responsibility, you're like, maybe I could just be on my own and I'd be fine. Especially for me and my personality. I'm like, maybe I could just write, do spiritual direction type of stuff and travel a little bit and that's it. And I've Mm. done that enough. And I'm like, I need people. And I have a personality that's like, you don't need people. No, I need people (laughs) to work with. I need people to like, meet with and dream with Mm -hmm. and build with and teach with and all these different things. So that's a big transition back. And it's a special thing because when you go through a lot, sometimes it's hard to imagine ever being in that place again. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's, there will be a, I I think there will be a time when I return to that, you know, and and Mm -hmm. I think God and life and everything will bring that out when the time's right. And I can feel that coming. So that's a big change for me, which I'm happy. I'm really, and I, and I can feel just the possibilities of it already changing my, like how I feel Hmm. just sensing it coming and having an opportunity that's like on the horizon. I'm like, I can feel my feeling about life and my days and everything changing already. It's really amazing. Yeah. It's it's so fascinating the way it, it does shift energetically before it shifts relationally. It always does. Mm-hmm. And you can feel it. But then it's almost like the energetic shift is the thing that causes the relational changes to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Though you don't feel yeah, like you're, it's like Yoda. You're just like creating this new future yeah. through your energy. It's, it's hard to feel where like the energetic shift and then the relational concrete changes. It's like yeah. one happens, the other one starts forming. And as the other one starts forming, the internal one starts growing. As that starts growing, it energizes you. And it's just now all of a sudden, it's just a relational co- like co-enacting of those things. But it's funny. I think about uh, what's the Ben Stiller uh, like model movie when he did the Blue Steel? Well, oh, Zoolander. Yeah. But you know, in the first one, he wants to like create a center for like kids who can't read good and stuff or however <laughs> yeah, he did it. That's exactly how he did it. But yeah. he, he told one of his friends or like whoever it was, he's like, just thinking about creating that thing made me feel more meaning than I have like my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like that. <laughs> just, like just thinking about the idea for him was like meant more than anything I've ever done. And it's funny, but there's some truth to like, just getting ready to do the relational creative, like collaborative stuff already is like, Oh, this awakens like turns the volume up on something in me that's been turned down for a long time that the fullness of my humanity will only fully be thriving and whole when that part is turned up more. I I don't want to be alone Mm. like that forever. You know, and I can feel like to be fully human is to have that, not just connection and relationship, but meaningful partnerships who you're building mm-hmm. with. And I can feel that coming and I can feel a part of me now returning or coming alive again, that that's, I think on the horizon. What do you think causes that shift? Because, okay, like across the board, if you're listening, if it's like you went through a bad breakup and you are something awakens and you want to, you know, be open to meeting new people again, like there's a shift that awakens one day or, someone dies in your life and you're grieving and all of a sudden you just start to come out of it or mm. um, 
you know, you you realize I need to work somewhere else. And there's like a new thing I need. Like what what do you think is that thing that happens that awakens? Yeah. I think I think one element is there is an element of like just the mystery of shifts real shifts in consciousness and a real mystery of like the pattern of death and life in the world, you know, mm-hmm. something dies, something's born again, but not right away. Right. So there is a mysterious surrendering of, we have to trust our part and then allow life and allow God to, to water and to grow things organically. But I do think, and that's the empowered part about transformation is, you know, we have a role to play in that. It doesn't, it also is not a disempowered, like it happens to some and it doesn't happen to others. I'm like, <laughs> no, And so one, we have to be aware of, are there any ways that we are, we have resistance and we have not accepted the death of things that need to die. Cause if you haven't accepted Mm. death and you're holding on, shit ain't going to happen new. Yeah. You got to die. Everybody knows that. Yeah. (laughs) 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 That's the baseline. (laughs) If you're listening and you don't know that everything, everything dies. Yeah. And so one, that's a big thing is if you don't want to, if you're holding on to unforgiveness, there's, there's, there's a, there's something in you that needs to die that you're holding on to. It's getting in the way. There's things with like, in my second book, I, at one point, I forget what I'm talking about, but I'm like, God, God's not on the way you're getting in the way. You know what I'm saying? Talk about simple concept versus exactly <laughs> difficult living yeah, like, yeah, if go, you're out forgiving someone for, because clearly something in you still needs to die and you're like <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> okay yes the thing Thanks. you've been holding on for 25 years that when you do it your body will convulse and you'll wonder if you can breathe after just that thing but know? it's also the thing that's giving you the strange power because you feel like you're in control and <laughs> yes, it gives you this that anger dark, that, that, you that dark energy made you an athlete that refuses to lose i get it but it's also <laughs> but what if i lose to, if i let it go <laughs> it's gonna make it hard to connect with people as you're will, older yeah. That's weird. Um, so I think there's that. Uh, I think another thing is, I think one of the things that happens is sometimes when you're just so tired of just being in the old thing, no one can do that for you. Like there's no objective rock bottom. It's only rock mm. bottom is a relational thing of when the environment and your agreement meet. And I just made that up, you know, but like it has to be both. <laughs> it's not like an AA thing or anything. But the environment looks like you have people, we have people in our lives who are like, damn, if that ain't rock bottom, like, I don't know if it ever will be because it looks like rock bottom to us, but it's only becomes rock bottom when that person decides it's rock bottom, whether it's, mm. that's true for addicts. That's where a lot of this language comes from, but it's anything we're addicted to toxic relationships, patterns that we hate, et cetera. So I think even with the whole, like wanting to connect into the next season, that's me being like, I'm just tired of, of, that mm. that part of me that feels alone and, you know, and recognizing out. that you have the power to change things. exactly and it's like no one's coming for me no nope. no one's coming i think i got that on a on a deeply spiritual level you know that's how my awakening moment happened with god at 18 i can look at my 14 or 15 year old self and i think unconsciously he was looking at the world like is anyone going to help me mm. and then it was like well i have a quest to go on you know and i have to find my way no one's coming you have to find my way into what i'm searching for what's not working and uh i think on the relational level that's true too it's like oh well i did this and i wrote a book or it's like when when does when does everyone come knocking it's like well (laughs) they're not you know and it's it takes humility you know because you're reaching out to people where i'm like you in some ways are reading and saying things that I was thinking about reading and saying 10 or 12 years ago. Yeah. And so it's like, for me to reach out to you is like, my ego could be like, you should be reaching out to me because I'm further along the journey. To be honest, I'm just being honest. Your ego can think that like, right, I can right, reach right. out to this younger kid or whoever, but it's like, this is where yep. we all are. And you totally. have to begin where you are. And But then you're also like are- that person is resonating with such a huge part of our culture right now. It's just a fascinating thing to step back from mm. and go, how interesting that on a broader cultural level, that thing that you were doing 12 years ago is now suddenly like a new mm. thing that everyone's resonating mm. with. And culturally, it just is, it's a weird 
reality to settle into. And you'd like, yeah. you're like, I'm and tired so, of this conversation. You yeah, go no. back into it now. And I'm just, I'm just being honest with people in that. Cause your ego, that that's where pride comes in. You could be like, I was like this whole thing. I was doing that so long ago. So mm-hmm. like, I want to reach out to them because I'm, I'm further than them or I'm beyond them or your ego can think those things and the pride can kick in of like, I'm not going to reach out to them because if I reach out, there's like power dynamics. Like you're ahead of me because I reached out to you. So I'm, you're the big dog and I'm like the pup, you know, or whatever. And it's like, I ain't going <laughs> to let this fool think about it about me. And then you're I'm like, call him. And the first no, thing no. I'm going to say, I'm going to watch him. <laughs> but then it's like, after all that, you're like, Hey, just, just, just send the email, bro. It ain't that deep. <laughs> At the end of the day, you're like, Hi, I'm Kevin. I'm yeah, like exactly. You. <laughs> Pretty much. You have a and whole so battle with yourself. Th- that's just an example of like the internal conversations that oftentimes happen unconsciously that can get in the way of the connections we desire. I just reach out to everybody. And that that to me is a great sign of freedom on the spiritual journey. And I don't mean freedom in a social and political sense. I mean like in our existential personal transformation. But yeah. a great sign mm-hmm. of freedom is... You don't need that kind of power. Yeah. Not the healthy power of like, we are aware of how, how powerful we are. We know what we can create. No, that's a great sense of power. But that's I mean, great. the kind of power that's like, I don't need to leverage above them or they're above social me. power. You don't need social, social hierarchy power. If I, I yeah, the hierarchical, if I say this, that puts them ahead of me once. And then that, that man, that the freedom from that means I can reach out and no one responds. That's okay. Yeah. I can reach out to a person and my ego is like, nah, they're like, bro, you're like, don't do that. Don't. It's like, you don't want them to feel like they're ahead of you or something. You know, it's like, mm. if this is about connection, then all of that hierarchical power leveraging we do is mm-hmm. going to get in the way of what I want. You know, so it's the I, simplicity of like, just, just arch or just email him and don't be <laughs> an idiot. And also that's why I love what the great living mystic Mirabai star says, because we're talking about the ego contracting in those conversations. And she says, the ego is a practical joke we keep falling for. So it's like my ego's like, don't do that. Don't do that. It's like, oh, and then all of a sudden I'm larger again. I have a greater sense of an awareness. I'm like, oh, that's just my ego. That's worried about that. It doesn't matter. That's just totally it's, it's not that big. <laughs> you know, I was reading um, a guy that was talking about this in a different context in terms of, like therapists or coaches or spiritual directors or whoever, like working with clients and wanting to, to attract the right kind of clients or whatever, that, you know, it's a fit. And he was talking about this woman who wrote a book, got it published, was endlessly promoting it. And she was frustrated because she wasn't getting the clients she wanted. And he's like, mm. well, what, what's the point of all that work? And she's like, well, I'm hoping someone will read the book, call me, then ask to be a client. And then I would set up, you know, whatever with them. He's all, well, why don't you just find the people that you'd like to work with and just give them your book directly and say, mm. if you read this and it resonates with you, I'd like to work with you. She's old. Mm. I can't do that. Like that's too mm. direct. And, and she did. And then people were like, I'd love to work. But the whole mm. thing was stop going all the way around this giant horn and just actually make the call. Drop off yeah. The horn. So, yeah. I think that that directness, the clarity of knowing what you want and the courage to just take the proper risks to do it simplifies everything. Really does. What do I want? I really want that. What does it take to get there? There's probably some courage involved, some emails, some reaching out, fear of rejection. Yeah, but that's what it takes. The sit that again, it's simple conceptually, but difficult experientially. But the more you do it, you're like, it's not that difficult. It takes time. But when I don't hear back from 70 emails or DMs, like I'm not losing sleep over it. I'm not like, no. oh my gosh, like people don't like me. It's like they just got stuff going on. Or maybe they look at me, they're like, oh no, I don't want them on. That's true too. And I can accept Fine. that. I'm not. In in there in the world of Christian industrial complex status, I'm not where other people are. So it makes sense to me why you, it does make sense. I get it. But there are the people, but I, but guess what? Around 30 people did. And that was the beginning of this next chapter. And that's awesome. And I, and that's you all, I've thought about that quite a bit the last two to three years is before you're really at a place where people are reaching out to you because they might want something from you or feel like they can gain anything by being connected with you. Like when you, for me, when I first start writing and doing this whole thing, Mm -hmm. the people who give you opportunities early, you like, don't forget them. Oh, dude, they're special. You know, like really, really Jonathan Merritt, Jonathan Merritt, first person on the podcast. Um, 
when I was pitching my book first, he was in Hawaii and I reached out to him again, directness, he willing to meet me, hung out with him, gave me some very like direct, like, here's what you got to do. Here's how it works. Advice. Um, we hung out another time when he was out here with some other people. I, maybe that was all when I saw him, but we, I have another book I'm like editing, you know, I haven't fully announced it yet, but there's another thing I'm working on. He just, he's not involved in it directly, but he's helping me with it, you know, in my role. Mm. So I'm like a person who, before, when you first start, who takes that time endorsement phone call with Brian McLaren, Suzanne Stabile, you know, to give me an endorsement and to build a relationship with her, those types of things. I'm like, man, you really don't forget those people. No, they and change you, your life. Yeah. Change your life. And so, yeah. So that's been a great part of the three years is those special times that happen, you know, for the people who take risks or just take, it's not even a risk on there. Just take the time to be honest. And mm. all of a sudden you're like, all right, like this is cool. You know, they're, they're the ones welcoming you to the table you've always wanted to been a part of. Mm-hmm. The first ones to be like, hey, the seats are, you know, seats taken. You're all right, cool. But they're the first <laughs> ones who welcome you in, you know, so it's special. You said um, Christian industrial complex, just as an aside, as you were flying through a sentence. But um, speaking of what, what does it mean for you to be a Christian now? Now that you, so I mean, your your podcast has an antagonistic tone, but in jest, the church needs therapy. But obviously, no, it's not about tone, not helping tone, the church. Not tone, title, title. So, so I'm sorry, title, <laughs> which I think is hilarious and sarcastic and fun. Um, but what I would say is, or what I would ask, what is your, what does that mean for you now? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I. I mean, some, I think I've shared this, you know, on the podcast, but a couple of years ago, I was going on a walk at this park right near my house. And I was like, so for people wonder like creative ideas and books and things, and they all come differently. Mm-hmm. And I was walking and I just thought, I want to write a book about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like what an interesting thing, you know, just after all these years, because I think it was, you know, 10 years after my initial awakening and reading nonstop after a while. Yeah. Then 10 years of leading and continuing to grow and evolve, especially where my primary practice is not devotions and it's not belief based, but it's experience based and direct knowing of God and yep. knowing that the presence of God is not limited to the name or person of Jesus. While I still am a Christian and, you know, God's at at work everywhere in the world and everybody has universal access. If you have, whoever has universal access to breath has universal access to God, period. Regardless of boom, what you believe metaphysically about God or about Jesus. Like these are things I believe. So after 10 years of doing that and still preaching 400 ish sermons, probably it's like, I think, why is it still so natural and easy and feel so good for me to say I'm a Christian when I know other people who evolve through certain stages or went through certain times of deconstruction, like everyone talks about, and they're like, I don't know what, if I can stay a Christian, I don't know if I need to. And I'm like, I've been through that and more and more and more. And yet I'm still a Christian. Like why, how does that work for, what is that? What does this mean? Cause I think intuitively I'm like, it's all makes sense to me, but to put it on paper right now for me, is like, whoa, what I'm writing a book. That's like, what do I really like? Why does this matter to me? What do I really mm. think? You know, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Like the books, like the cosmic Christ and the concrete Jesus, because there's this universal presence that is in through and unfolding as everything that holds all things together. That loves everyone. That's grace, pure affirmation that everybody has access to. Okay. Well then why Jesus? Then it's mm. like, then there's the concrete Jesus who has a liberating path, who's the incarnation of the universal way, who shows us what it means to be fully human, et cetera. So this book is like, how do I put that together? Not what sounds good. How do mm. I put that together? Personally, That's this is they, your... That, yeah. And it's and it's really like, oh, this is more theological than my other books. Even though it's still simple, I'm like, this is me really like, you know, this this chapter i was just working on or i just did the organizational part to start writing it's called the meaning in the map Mm. and it's this idea of like jesus 
Christ is the terrain of everything. It's the meaning. It's the depth. It's the, the substance. And Jesus is the map of the terrain, of the substance, right, of this. So I'm like, any, you don't need, um, things think about traveling, you don't need a map to be familiar with the terrain. Mm-hmm. You just know it. You know, you've walked it yourself. You've walked through the, I'm looking out my window right now, you've walked through those mountains, you've swam in that ocean, you know where the reefs are. So terrain is the substance that which you experience and Jesus is the map kind of like helping you understand it more. And so it's like me putting those things together. Like I can say anyone can have access to that, which is to the universal Christ to love. But if as a Christian, you're saying Jesus is the clearest map of all of this, well, then following Jesus should help you make more sense of the divine and the shape of the divine as compassionate and loving and self-giving and not punitive or angry, you know? But it's what's interesting though is, Some people have the map. Christians, we know who have all the orthodox beliefs. They don't seem familiar with the terrain of Christ at all because they're angry, (laughs) bitter, ethnocentric, racist, committed to the country before, really towards the kingdom of God, et cetera. Then you have people who don't have the map, don't have all the right orthodox beliefs about Jesus, but it appears they know the terrain. They're the who, who knows God. Right. The one who has the more correct map or the one who's more familiar with the terrain themselves. So I'm like putting those that's in the book. I'm putting those things together. So to me, it's still Christ has 10,000 faces and Jesus Mm. is the clearest one. The way of Jesus, the way of Jesus is a path showing us what it means to be fully human. It's compassion to the edges. It's forgiveness. These are all the things that make us alive. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's like Christ is the terrain and Jesus is the map and One's a universal presence. One's a particular path you go on to give you access to the presence and to be a part of embodying it for the world. So in this book, I'm putting that all together and it makes total sense to me. Hmm. You know, it's like you can be fully Christian without needing anyone else to be one and to Hmm. recognize there's a lot of people out there more familiar with and in tune with and embodying the way of Christ than those people who have the correct maps about Jesus. Yeah. You know, and so it's, it's not muddying the waters. It's clarifying the waters for more people, you know, for me and how I think about things. So that's more, there's a little glimpse of what's coming in the book, but I'm like, dude, I'm still a Christian. Uh, I told Phil before, I'm like, bro, like who's given more of their life to this than us. And I just mean that (laughs) as pastors with like, we felt a calling on our life at one point to be pastors. We've. It's been our entire life. It's been our entire work. Chairs and set up carried so yeah. much anxiety in our body, setting things up and prepared so many teachings to invite people into this. It doesn't make us above people, but I'm like, bro, we're Christians. Like I've given, for me, I'm like, I've given everything to this path and I still am, you know? Yes. It's not, it's not the same as fundamentalist forms of the faith, you know? And my concerns with, you know, confessional orthodoxy might not be as stringent as others. And by not as stringent, I mean, like, I really don't care, but <laughs> to me, I'm like this, this, <laughs> I'm like the way, the way, the way is the way and I'm still on it, you know? And yeah. to me, I'm like, this is it, dude. I love it. Well, did you, you are consciously uncoupling the idea of, of being a Christian. I mean, all the way back to the earliest, these accounts in the Acts letter of like, it, they had no name. It was just mm. people that were occupied with this way of being in the world. And I think that is beautiful. You were uncoupling it though from this modern industrial, mm. institutional, political Christian complex that does exist, that it actually is doing a great deal of. Mm. pain inducing suffering on the world mm. and on people and i think i think pre- well, no go ahead i was gonna ask what's your relationship to that then and how does that feel yeah yeah no that's that's good and it is connected with what i was gonna say yeah go ahead i think uh you know a book it actually comes out a week from tomorrow i think um that i did with other authors from my from my publisher it's called mm-hmm. sitting under the sitting in the shade of another tree it's something like that Mm. but it's it's people of people from a specific religious tradition of talking about what they've learned from another tradition 
That's cool. So my mine's called, you know, like Zen, or it's like Suzuki, DT Suzuki is a great Zen teacher. So it's like Suzuki Merton, it's Thomas Merton. says Suzuki Merton, Zen, and me. That's the name of the chapter. And it's about Zen and Thomas Merton's reading of Zen. So it's like Zen through Merton. That's cool. You know, from, and then what that did to me 12 years ago and how that still stays with me, you know, what it means for my life. But I think with the whole thing you're talking about, people are looking for a faith beyond. Mm-hmm. Beyond like what? Like a, a through line. Not, they're not trying to leave something. I, I no. feel like they're trying to expand with something bigger. But the thing they're expanding from says, if you leave this particular form, you're going to hell or you ain't going to make it or we're scared for you. And there's this panic about it. But like, yeah, sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm just with you, baby. No, I just think people are looking for a faith beyond. And I can, we can name 30 things beyond homophobia, beyond Christian nationalism, beyond its reliance upon or privileging of white supremacy, beyond a culture of war in our country. That's con- mm-hmm. I mean, I'm speaking very specifically about the United States, but yeah, people are looking for a faith beyond. And for me, my relationship with that is yes, that's what we're doing. You know, Phil, and you know, you you know the history better than I do, but then we've always been doing this and we're still doing this. You know, everyone thinks their form is the final form, right? Phil's shared that, you know, in, in whatever medium, you know, I saw that at some point. You know, you think your form is the final form, and it's not. It's like we're yeah. human beings who are making concrete ad hoc decisions about where we are, what it means to be people and Christians. And it's not going to last forever and it's not supposed to, you know, it's like the reformers aren't like trying to rebuild the fire. They're returning to the original spark so it can continue to keep creating a newer versions of, you don't have to recreate the same fire. It's the spark, you know, it's the fire is creating new things. And so I think for me, I'm just like, yeah, that's that's why I can have all of the critiques and agree with all the people who have all the sophisticated critiques and read the same stuff as them. And I'm like, and the real after that, eventually the real work is building a new one. Hmm. Now, I also know it's to critique things only requires your mind to build things requires your heart and your body as well. And your yeah. courage and your creativity and your sacrifice and well, that's... actual creativity, not just destructive. Exactly. Power. exactly. Generative and force. The, and the critiques are important because the, you know, deconstructing, like when I read John Caputo talking about it a long time ago is it's not so much, I think he's the one who's saying it's not so much a breaking down, but it's a breaking through. Yeah. You know, it's for something else to be born. And so it's not it's... the next orthodoxy. It's not the next final form. It's the next thing that is right and makes the most sense to where we are now and then my kids will be 50 and be like what were you thinking absolutely (laughs) and they should do that you know hopefully well and i (laughs) when you were talking about the final form stuff i think we we all i think as a culture this christian culture this modern institutional Christian culture that we have in at least the United States. It's like we deny the past in a way and the future for the the cycles that have come before, as well as the ones that are coming ahead. Mm. But yet we like anxiety is, is an endless anxiety about the past and the future. So we deny them and are anxious about them all the time Mm. rather than just actually letting that whole thing go and being comfortable with like, I, I, when I left Redemption, the church that I had led for almost 13 years, Jen and I started, I actually wrote, like, one of my big things was like, we're going to do some new stuff. And I was like, I had this whole idea. There's a new form being birthed in the world. And I, there is an unintentional arrogance in it of like, we're going to, we're going to go help build the new form as if there is a new form. Mm. And, and then I think it took years to finally go. Uh, there is no new form. There's just people living day at a time into the future. And like Mm. things slowly develop collectively around that. Mm. It's much bigger thing beyond any of us. And it, yeah, there's a multiplicity of forms too, because of where we all are. And so, and to me, I'm like, what's more Christian than letting old things die. So new things can be born again. (laughs) What's more Christian than that? You know, like, 
people get so anxious about like their version of church not lasting. I'm like, well, it's not what this is about. You know, yeah. I think the Christian, the one who's believes this is life, death, and resurrection, like what could be more of a of an act of trusting the creative resurrecting power of the spirit than letting those things that are no longer working die, even though you don't know what's coming and it's a collective communal liminal space and death to allow something new to like this isn't about you that's that's your power that's your need those are your ego needs that have a hard time with that it's absolutely the same ego that thinks it needs to defend god is the same ego that needs to protect the church at all costs it's like no dude well it's it's like the same mindset as someone who's like i really want to take that job that you're offering me i'm just gonna wait till my kids get out of high school so that now my house is freed up so we can move forward it's like it's like that same logical way of thinking Mm. like oh i'm just gonna let's wait till i'm dead and then this thing can mm. move on because I really need this community of mm. whatever to make help help me get through mm. rather than it just is what it is, you know? Yeah. The calculative mind has a hard time with death because it can't compute it. <laughs> you know, it has to, it, it transcends, like death transcends the human, rash, the rational mind, you know? Absolutely. So like, to me, like that's the act of entrusting the spirit and trusting the world to the spirit to the future of like this will all keep going dude you know like Genuine, this is so not what it was confidence. 150 years ago yeah. you know just no matter what so there's ways to fight it and resist it and there's ways to welcome it and allow it. and the people who welcome it and allow it will be the ones who will lead it to its healthy version of the future and not doubling down on a past you know yeah because they're letting they're actually doing the journey with god ironically doubling down on a past while denying Mm. the past that was right before that (laughs) Mm. Mm. such an i have like i have like four minutes to like one two twenty your time i got another sick i got one more sick kid at home dude we're like rotating in and out you're swapping out kids well christine like we're both kind of like i have a client i have this so um okay last question what are you most excited about moving forward right now I think what I shared earlier, like, and I hope to be able to share this publicly, you know, I will once it's fully concrete, but there, there's an opportunity on the horizon where I'm like, if this really happens the way it can, this is truly like all, like almost all of my favorite things and strengths and gifts all coming together in one place Hmm. you know like this there's this part of me it's just like when we talk about wanting things where the last couple years i've said i've just thought i need a creative and vocational reasons to be in new york at least once a year Mm -hmm. at least once a year you know i just because of my love for it my connection with it my i just want to be there you know i just love it so that mixed with oh i've realized one of my great drivers is finding people, like I said, who aren't always, don't always feel welcomed or seen or welcomed at the center and identifying them, identifying them and being like, your work is so valuable. And there is a place I want you to know you are at the center and there's support and things that come along with it. I think my, even pastoring, I'm like, oh, my dream is always creating ecosystems that allow other people's dreams to come out. That's what I like to do. That's really cool. Yeah. And I have a great, a great sense. I want to create an ecosystem that gives birth to other people's individual dreams and support them. I'm more like, I want to support, love, and empower the people who have the individual dreams to do things beyond what I can do. And I, I want to lead leaders and do that and support them to do great work and to also help them stay rooted in their own joy and peace. I'm like, that's what I can be like, that's what I love to do. You know, Mm -hmm. that right there. And so, there's an opportunity where these things might come together in a very life-changing way that I'm working on right now. That could be really exciting. And so that's just connect with what I said before of like leaving imagine and looking at my future. I was like really honest about like what I want. I was like, I want more connection and collaboration. Mm. That's I've always wanted that it's been in the church. It's been local. Okay. That was, that was that season. Now I'm going into another part and there's new forms of courage and new boundaries of fear and limitations you have lived within or whatever it is that you go beyond to do it. That's our role. That's my role. 
And I want to keep writing, keep doing spiritual direction. I love those things. I'm going to keep mm-hmm. creating. It's like, it's like the, the possibility of the other thing still allows me to keep writing and doing spiritual direction. One-on-one with, I love one-on-one with people. I like listening to stories. Hey, what about this? Oh yeah, I think this. And giving some clarity for them to do their own path without their fear of somebody judging them or needing them to be different. Right. I really love that. Yeah. And so, yes, my thing is the creative part. Great. One-on-one. Great. It's those, those are growing and continuing with a larger collaborative. I'm like, this is not just for this season, but something I've wanted my entire adult life and I've never had in this way. Hmm. And it's a big big thing that i'm excited about yeah because it's the that. one represents a whole that's much bigger that's amazing yeah and thank you for for taking the time you know when you have a friend who reaches out like dude it's my 100th episode interview me <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding i was so pumped come up with a bunch of questions for me so it's, i, that's, I love it too. it's such an honor to be with you and i'm i'm just inspired by you and by your work and i love your podcast and uh I'm with you, dude. Congratulations. A hundred is Appreciate huge. It. Yeah. We'll see. I would say to 200, but who knows if podcasts will even be a thing at that time. We'll just like have speakers in our ears and just talk to each other all the time or something. Who knows? <laughs> I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be doing something. I just don't know what it is at that point, <laughs> but no, nah, man, I appreciate right, it for all the listeners. Thank you for listening in hundredth episode and the next ones will also be coming soon. So I appreciate you all as well.